Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to the City Light Church podcast. We're so honored you've joined us. We hope that today's podcast brings you hope, encouragement, and most of all, adds value to you in your walk with Jesus Christ. We long to see people grow from where they are closer to where God desires them to be, and it's our hope that this podcast is an essential element in that process for you. So grab a pen, your Bible, and a journal, and let's dive into today's message. For those of you uh, who I haven't had the privilege to meet yet, my name is, is Lee. I am a, uh, a staff pastor here. Um, just last month, transitioned to a uh, more of a remote role and um, travel in uh, semi-frequently to be a part of the community here. But if you were here about a month ago, um, I spoke and uh, my wife and I were sent off to, um, to pioneer some things in South Carolina. And, uh, and so we are about four to six weeks into that process right now. And uh, it's great. Um, it's so good. <laughs> it's kicking my butt, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> it's, but it's so good, so good. Um, my wife and I, uh, the Lord uh, blessed us with a, with a home. And, and for the longest time, we've been kind of wanting to try our uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, you know, side. And, um, and so we bought a home that needed some, some chipping, Joanna Gaines help, some renovation. <laughs> and uh, I'm finding out real quickly, I am not Chip Gaines. <laughs> and, uh, but it's so much fun. I'm learning so much, so much. I, I think after this house, I will be a Chip Gaines. Um, I'm learning so much. Uh, thankful for my dad. He's, he's uh, made the drive several times to help us uh, rip up tile and sand wood floors and re-stain and knock walls down. Um, well, we haven't done that yet, but it's on the horizon. Um, and so anyway, uh, we're blessed. We're blessed beyond measure. We're having a great time. Um, the kids are doing so good with the adjustment. Um, one and three is the age of ages of our children, and uh, they're doing so good. But it's renovate and work all day, and then not sleep at night because they're just right in that phase. And so um, we're in a we're in a really cool season. We're in a really cool season. It's it's a really hard season, um, but man, it's just going to be so worth it. It's going to be so rewarding. Um, one day. <laughs> uh, hopefully that day comes quickly. Uh, no, it really, it's already so rewarding. We live in a beautiful city. I wish I had time to tell you all about it. I'm not going to because you'd all probably want to up and move there and that would be a problem um, for Ocala. So uh, it's amazing city, amazing city. And, uh, and the ministry, the nonprofit that Kara and I have set in our hearts to kind of go and pioneer and serve that city, um, it's beginning to take shape. Um, the Lord's beginning to give clarity to uh, Kara and I on some of the blueprints for that. And uh, crazy enough, he's bringing people around us that have kindred DNA and a similar vision that it's really interesting to just see how the Lord's bringing people out of the woodwork that um, are kind of the same, same sort of visions have been burning in their hearts for a while and, and just kind of getting to slowly take steps. And, and we're, we're more concerned with um, hearing the voice of God and being obedient than running with a vision and just trying to build some nonprofit or organization that maybe has a lot of impact. But we, we really want it to be organic, slow paced. We're not in a hurry. Uh, we're playing the long game and we're really trying our best to let the Lord take the lead on it. And so it's going great. It's going wonderful. But I'm excited to be back today. 
um, this is home, this is family, and so to get to be back and, and uh, be here and see all of you is a real treat, and uh, um, I'm excited for, um, for the frequency that I'll get to come back and, and be a part of the community here, because this is a gym in the city of Ocala, this community here, and so it's always a great time to be back. All right, today, Matthew 16 is where we're going to launch. If you have your Bible, go ahead and flip there. We'll jump in in just a minute. Um, I am going to, to stay on time. <laughs> Every preacher's famous last words, I guess. I'm going to do my best to stay on time today, but I am going to speak from my heart. And so um, I, I, while I have a couple little points um, that I, I know I kind of want to hit and, um, and get to, um, a lot of this is going to be from my heart because this, this is a particular message that if you were here last month when I spoke, it kind of uh, dovetails off of that. And I guess you could say this is sort of a continuation or a part two of the thoughts I was sharing last time. Um, but this is something that um, I'm wrestling with in my, own, in my own walk with the Lord, something that um, I'm often convicted over or I'm often um, presented to, to when I'm reading scripture, uh, this, this idea of following Jesus and what that means, and what that means for, for me and what it meant um, when Jesus commanded it and, and, and called followers to himself in the day he walked the earth. And so I'm going to kind of share from my heart, and it's going to be, it's going to be a, a good time, I promise. Um, but before I jump in, I do want to say this. I, I'll be back in November. I believe the 14th, I'll be speaking again. And I wanted to do something really different, and, uh, but I felt like it would kind of be fun. Um, I want, as I begin to pray and I ask the Lord, just kind of reveal to me his heart for that particular week, I want to invite you to kind of be a part of that journey. And if, if you are, if there's things in your heart as you read scripture that you're wrestling with, if there's things in your particular journey right now that you're walking through in your, your context and you, you want clarity, you need, you need God to speak into some certain things, I want to invite you to um, email me, lee at mycitylight.org, because as I pray this month for the next time I come, I, I want to get a pulse on, on the body here. I want to get a pulse on where you're at as I pray and as I seek the Lord's guidance for next week. And so email me. It could be anything. I, I don't understand this in Scripture. I don't, when Jesus says this, I don't get it. How do I live as a follower of Jesus in regards to this? I'm going through this. How do I respond? And I want to take those. And, and even if Sunday is not the context to speak on them, um, I want to pray on them and I want to adjust them in, in some form or fashion. And so I want to invite you to that. Um, but let's jump into Matthew 16. The title of my talk today is, uh, is, is follow me, follow me. We're going to start at verse 21. It says, from then on. Okay, anytime you see from then on or by the way or therefore, you want to you wanna go back just a little bit and see what that, that means because it means you're starting in the middle of something and, and you want context. And for the sake of time today, what just happened before this verse is that famous scene in the Bible where Jesus asks Peter, who do you say I am? And G Peter reveals that you're, you are the son of God, you're the Messiah. And uh, what takes place here is that Jesus reveals to a core group of followers that he's not just an awesome rabbi. Because up to this point, in the eyes of everyone following him, he's a rabbi. 
And we're, we're talking about a culture and a people that rabbis are a, an essential staple in this culture. And when a rabbi calls you to follow them, you did it. And so up to this point, Jesus is just a rabbi to, to many of his followers. But this is a defining moment where this core group that Jesus is meeting with sees him no longer as just a rabbi, probably the best to ever walk the earth, but they now see him as the long foretold and prophesied Messiah to come. They see him as God wearing flesh. This is a defining moment, and it's going to reshape how we read the next several verses. Okay, So from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Now, Peter, mind you, just after being blessed, right? Because he says, Peter, who do you say I am? Messiah, son of God. And, and Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. So he's like high-fiving Peter, you know, applauding him, slapping him on the back. Good job, Peter. You did something good for once. You know, usually when he opens his mouth, it's not good. Uh, but he's being blessed in this moment. Now, now, Peter, after hearing these things about Jesus going to Jerusalem and dying and all that, he took him aside and, and began to rebuke Jesus. You just found out the dude was God in the flesh, and you have the audacity to take him aside and rebuke him. This is Peter. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. I got you, all right? We're good. I got the zealots on standby. We're ready to wage war, baby. It ain't going to happen. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. So from blessed to Satan, you know, you're a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And I want you to underline this. I hope I have time to get to this today. But if I don't, I want you to know this. What has the potential to take you from being blessed and applauded by God himself to being rebuked by God? When you start to lose track of God's concerns and put your concerns at the focal point of your life, and you begin to say, God, my way, yes. you know? Yes. And we see that displayed so beautifully here in this, this narrative where Peter, and I think so many times we, we take on the role of Peter in our life, um, and we try to tell Jesus the way it's going to be. Verse 24, and this is the verse I want to spend the majority of my time on today. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, underline, take up his cross, underline, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. If you remember last time I spoke, we talked a, a bit about the, 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 the hard commands that Jesus gives us and has given his followers all throughout Scripture, right? Give everything away. The, these ridiculous, unrealistic commands, especially for Westerners, right? But how does he always follow up one of these ridiculously, nearly impossible commands? 
by pointing our direction to another age. The only way we're going to be able to actually follow through with the commands of Jesus is if we redirect our perspective to the age that's coming in which he promises us eternal life. And in this particular passage, how does he do that? He says, he, he, he's going to say, deny yourself and take up your cross. We'll talk more about what that means in just a minute. But for now, it, it's nearly impossible to do these things. And it's certainly not within the human desire to do these things. But he, yet he asks them of us anyway, knowing that by his spirit, we'll have the ability to do these things. But what does he say? What does he do to give us the, the little bit of a, a motivation, the, the, the strength to say, okay, this is actually now reasonable? He directs us to another age, and, and then he says, um, then he will reward each according to what he has done. In other words, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to deny yourself and lay down your cross? Because you'll be rewarded then according to the decisions you make in this life and this temporary 80 years, Lord willing, that we have here. And so Jesus is... He's famous for this. He's redirecting. Look, I'm asking something ridiculously hard of you. I get it. But let's look at, look, let's look at the age to come. Because, because if you let go of that perspective, you'll never be able to follow me in this life. Because I'm going to ask a lot of you. And so we're, 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 get, we're, we're, we're approaching Jesus and we want to follow him. But I don't think we always count the cost to following Jesus. I think... I think in the West, it's super easy. Like we've t kind of turned Jesus and salvation and church into a sales pitch. And we just want as many people in the seats. And we want as many people through our assimilation process and our next step process that we make Jesus easy to buy into. And we, we're not actually, we're, we're kind of like the shady salesman on stage these days. And it really is. It's the simplicity of the gospel. It is super simple to follow Jesus. It really is. In faith in Jesus, like there's so, so much simplicity there, but there is a cost. And I think a lot of times as, as pastors, we need to do a better job at presenting to the people the real cost of following Jesus. Today in our society, when I look around, I kind of, I kind of ask, I kind of see Multiple, multiple categories on something here. What is a Christian? What is a believer? What is a follower of Jesus? Well, in the New Testament, in the first century, they were all synonymous. Okay, they were just different words to kind of communicate the same general thing because they all had the same rabbi. They all followed the same teaching. Today, these are sadly three distinct things in our culture today. And I'm going to try out some, some new technology here to, to maybe better aid myself here, and I hope this works. But we, we have um, three categories. There's a, a really good lag here. So I'm like writing invisibly and hoping that what I wrote... <laughs> I'm writing by faith, that's right. So we have three categories. <laughs> the first category, we, we have Christians. Okay? Man, that is, bear with me. That is brutal. <laughs> we have Christians. Okay? What is a Christian in today's Western society? 
A Christian, I'll kind of define it like this. A Christian knows about Jesus. They're not Buddhist, Muslim, or Catholic, and they want to go to heaven. They went to church a couple times with grandma growing up. They know the story. And if they want something from you, namely your trust, they'll they'll identify as a Christian. Um, And so really, everyone's a Christian in America, right? Hey, do you believe in Jesus? Of course I believe in the the Greek guy. Was he Greek or Roman? You know, that's kind of the response of a Christian in the West. Then we have this second category, um, which I am calling a believer. We have Christians, we have believers. Believers are, I believe, they're, they're saved. They meet the prerequisites for salvation. But here's kind of what's unique about a believer. A believer believes, it's, all, it's philosophical. It's very Greek in the fact that it's, there's a lot going on in their head, but not their life. Okay? So they, they believe in their head Jesus is God. Right? I believe that. By faith, Jesus is who he says he is. I know the biblical narratives, the stories, right? And I believe them. I believe Joseph, all of that really happened. And I believe all of the stories. I believe the Bible. I believe they happened the way they said they, they do. But the, the, the thing about a believer that separates them from the third category, and it's, it's a very fine but distinct line, is that belief remains philosophical. It, it really just stays here. It begins here in the head and, and ends there. And it just becomes more of like the worldview that they uphold and carry. Believers are moral, ethical people. Uh, they, go, they probably go to church every single Sunday. They genuinely believe Jesus is God. But the problem with believers is that Jesus remains their God, but not their rabbi. Rabbis, if you're unfamiliar with the terminology, I guess in a Western uh, slang, we could say the life coach, teacher, mentor. One that you, you're around all the time to learn from, how, not just what is right and wrong or how to see the world you live in, but how to live. And so believers kind of stop philosophically. And then we have the third group, which uh, I call the followers of Jesus or disciples. Man, that's terrible. (laughs) Followers of Jesus. This group is the group we are called to be. I really believe that Jesus is looking and desiring followers because here's how it worked in the first century um, Jewish world. The sole purpose of a rabbi was to take those that would follow them and to essentially clone themselves and their followers so that when they die, they live on. And so their followers are now representatives or they represent their rabbi with their lives. And so when we consider Jesus a rabbi, we're talking about the idea of following Jesus 
sitting at his feet. This is an actual uh, Hebrew idiom to, to um, walk in the dust of a rabbi or to sit at the feet of a rabbi. It, it meant to be uh, walking in the dust. It was very dirty. So um, when they would walk, it meant you were so close to your rabbi, even in, as he walked that the dust would come off the, the sandals and, and blanket you in dust. And that was an honor. To sit at the feet of your rabbi was to sit at the feet. When he would sit, you were the closest one to him to hear his teachings. And this was an honor to be the closest to your rabbi. This is the day and age we, 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 uh, we're, we're in right now. And so when Jesus says, I, you want to follow me, you want to be... You wanna be I'm calling you to be not just a believer. Like, you can believe I'm the Messiah, and that's so good. So good. That's, that's a prerequisite for sure. But I'm actually calling you to now follow me. And to do that, there's two primary prerequisites that you have to meet to follow me. Two things. And he's not saying, like, if you don't do these things, you're not good enough to follow me. He's saying, you won't be able to follow me without these two things. In other words, like, you won't be able to lift the weight because you haven't worked out enough to carry this kind of a weight. It's not about if you're good enough or not to follow Jesus. It's about pure capabilities. And he's saying, number one is you've got to deny yourself. You've got to deny yourself. We in the West, we really don't know what this means. Because this is a Middle Eastern culture we're talking about here. The closest thing we have to this in the West is something, a practice that the Church of Scientology has. And if you know anything about them, they have this thing where they, 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 they make, like if a family joins Scientology and then the spouse wants to leave or child or whatever, they make them shun, right, disconnect completely from uh, the, the, the family member or friend or whoever that is leaving the Church of Scientology, they make them consider that person dead to them. That's the closest thing we have in the West. In the Middle East, today it's largely a Muslim culture in many of those areas, and they still uphold this practice of denial. If you have a household, and mother, father, and daughter, and the daughter becomes a Christian or leaves the Muslim faith to any category, um, what is required and, and not even beyond required, the, the, the father and mother are so willing to do this, it's sickening, they will deny the daughter. In other words, um, get out of my house, you're losing all of my support, I don't know you, but here's the real key, you are dead to me. That is denying. That is what denial is in the Middle Eastern culture. You are dead, you don't even exist. It is as though you don't exist. And what Jesus is saying is you must deny yourself. <laughs> Consider yourself dead. For the next 60, 70, 80 years that you have on this life, don't live for this life. Consider it dead. Consider it gone. Because if you don't, you're going to have a problem following me and becoming like me. Because Jesus is the epitome of selflessness. And so if you're going to become selfless like Jesus, you really ought to grow in discipline with denying yourself. And the second prerequisite Jesus talks about is taking up your cross and, and following him. Now, they certainly knew what a cross was and what it was used for. And just a few moments ago, Jesus talks about he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and die. Whether Jesus mentions specifically he's going to die on a cross or not, we don't know. Nonetheless, 
his audience knew what a cross was and what Jesus was saying. And that was Jesus getting at to the heart of this idea is you've died, you, you've died to yourself, right? So Jesus isn't saying the same thing twice. What Jesus is saying by take up your cross is you need to be willing to die to yourself, deny yourself, and be willing to die for others. In other words, you get in an argument with your spouse and you are right, right? That's how it always goes. You are right. <laughs> and even if you are, taking up your cross says, even if I'm right, I'm called to die and serve my spouse, make peace in my home, not wound their heart. And so I'm going to lay it down and I'm going I'm I'm to fight for, for her or his heart before I'm going to fight for my pride or for my way or for my view. And so what Jesus is saying is the willingness not just to die to your pleasures, your desires, your dreams, but the willingness to die for someone else's. And there's a distinction there that Jesus is trying to make. And he say, you have to have the willingness to die, period, whether it's to yourself or for someone else. Otherwise, you won't be able to follow me. And then we go and follow the life of Jesus and see he displays these two things at every turn of the page. And of course, we come to this climax in the narrative where he dies on the cross and and, uh, and the ultimate display of selflessness and, and, and love and, and dying for other people. This is a lot to ask, and Jesus knows that. This is, this is so much to ask, and this is the cost of true discipleship in following Jesus. This is where it begins. So we've got to now ask, if this is the cost, can I afford that? And, and where in the world are we following this guy to exactly? It wasn't a geographical location, you know. When he said, Peter, come lay down your nets and follow me, it wasn't about like follow me around Galilee as I make these missionary tours and just, you know, be a part of my crew and help me. No, no, no. It wasn't geographical. So I, this is a lot to give up to follow Jesus. Where am I following him to? Any smart person would ask that before, you know, paying, <laughs> right? Giving something up. You want to know what's in it for you. Well, first Jesus just says, well, you have an eternal reward. But Jesus, we're not following him to somewhere physical. We have three natures. I'm going to try this again. Let's continue on. Three natures. The first nature is our sin nature. These three natures are at war with each other constantly throughout our whole life. The first nature is the sin nature. This is the nature we're born into after the fall. We're born into sin, Scripture tells us. But this is also the nature that dies when we receive Christ. So we're, we're crucified and buried with Christ and raised to life again with him. Amen. So the sin nature that we inherited at birth is dead. This does not mean uh, we don't have temptation. It's, as you mature as a follower of Jesus, you'll have temptation to sin likely all of your life. But it's kind of like lifting weights. You know, the first time you go to the gym, 100 pounds may give you some challenge. But six months down the road, it's the same hundred pounds. It's just, it doesn't phase you, right? And so as you mature in Christ, sin's kind of the same way. It's not like you become this per perfect saint or sin goes away. But in your maturity, sin becomes less of a weight to handle. And then you move on to something a little heavier. And it's called the human nature. 
It's nature number two. This, this is the butt kicker, the human nature. And this is where most of us, never we stop following Jesus right here. Because the human nature isn't really sin, okay? But it still needs to die. But it's not sin, and we're not technically, like, it's understandable and reasonable to operate in the human nature. Like, no, no one's going to look at you and think, oh, you're a bad person. Here's an example. Someone murders a loved one. It's human nature to want to bless them with a fist to the face over and over again, right? Or, or maybe something more extreme, depending on who you are. Human nature, no one's going to look at you and say, man, you are a terrible sinner for wanting to take revenge on someone that murdered a loved one. But what does Jesus say? What does God say? He says, vengeance is mine. And so while we have this human nature and we can act in it and it's not sin in and of itself, it's still not our, our third nature. It's still not holy. There's a third nature and it's called the holy nature. Holy nature. If we're following Jesus anywhere, it's out of our sin nature, through a human nature, into a holy nature. I'll say that again. If we're following Jesus anywhere, it's out of a sin nature, through our human nature, into his holy nature. Now, what does this mean exactly? Holy in our our society has kind of gotten a bad rap. I think it has a negative connotation. Like, it has this... Oh, you're holier than thou, you know? Like, you try to live an up, uh, uplifting moral life, and, oh, you're holier than thou, aren't you? You know, like, you're some hot shot, aren't you? You know? That's kind of the connotation holy gets. And it's just because we don't, we don't know how to define the word. We don't know what the word means. The word holy is a, is a Hebrew word. I'm going to spell it like an Englishman. It's kadosh. It's supposed to be a K. Kadosh. Kadosh simply means this, to set apart, okay? Now follow me. To set apart, to become unlike the rest, to become uncommon or be uncommon, rare, a rarity. When God first called us, humanity, humans, to be holy. It was in Deuteronomy 7, 7, 6, and he actually does it again uh, in uh, uh, chapter 14. But I want to read this. It says, for you are a holy people. Okay, so here's the Old Testament command, the origins of holiness, the call. We have a New Testament one too. You're a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the people of the face of the earth. There's kind of a picture of what holy means. Okay, I'll paint the picture a little further. We have, we have an entire world, okay? We're thinking about Abraham's time, right? An entire world of pagans, uh, polytheists, meaning multiple gods. Uh, a, a, like they, their cultures and their customs are outrageously disgusting. Human sacrifice, crazy distorted sexual behaviors, murder, theft, all of these things 
were running rampant. The Bible actually kind of says it like this. They did what was right in their own eyes. And this was paganism. The entire world was unified in that they were all pagans. God now wants to create something different. They, he wants to create a people where he's their God. So he finds Abraham. He likes Abraham's character, makes a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob has 13 sons. And these 13 sons, the way nations were formed and the way they worked was a family kept growing. And a family became a nation. So when we look at the, Israel, the, the nation of Israel, um, we're actually looking at a family here. That was actually, it started as a, a family that grew. So these 13 sons multiplied into millions of people while they're enslaved in Egypt. And God brings them out of Egypt, uh, identifies a new leader. His name is Moses and, and makes a new covenant with Moses and said, look, you are going to be a holy people because here's the deal. The entire world is pagan, but I'm going to make you set apart, different, uncommon in this idea that I am your God. And you're now going to be monotheists, not polytheists. And as a result of me being your God, you're going to live different, you're going to look different, and you're going to provoke the rest of the world to jealousy. So holiness has nothing to do with being better than anyone else. It has nothing to do with being superior because you abstain from certain ways of living or you choose to live certain ways. Holiness, to be holy is an honor. To be holy is a gift. To be holy is an incredibly good thing that we should all really want because um, it's kind of like when you, when you look for gold, you look for that certain carrot, right? And if you get that certain carrot of gold, it's more precious to you, right? Because it's set apart from the other gold. There's a uniqueness to it. Same with China. Right? China's a dishware that we spend lots of money on to never use. <laughs> we set it in a cabinet and we use the Dollar General <laughs> dishes because the China's holy. It's set apart. It's unique. It's for honorable use. And what Jesus is calling us to be holy as your Father is in heaven is holy. That's the call. That's the mandate. How are we going to be holy without following Jesus into Holiness. Jesus is our GPS to holiness, if you will, watching him, watching his life, watching him beyond the morals, beyond the ethics, beyond the theology. Did you know that Jesus shows us how to live in, in, in certain areas, like a life routine? Did you, did you realize that? Did you realize that Jesus got up before the sun to begin his day in prayer? Did you know that has nothing to really do with morals or theology or ethics or sin or not? It's just showing us a good way to live, a healthy way to live. Do you know that the, the Bible is full of things that is teaching us and grooming us to live a certain way that is set apart, that is uh, uncommon from the world around you? But unless we make Jesus not just our God, but our rabbi, we can have Jesus as our God and live, live, live a nightmare of a life because we weren't following Jesus. He was just our God. And we just stopped at belief. But we didn't apply his teachings or his practices to our life. Can I tell you this today? Your marriage is, is, is struggling and falling apart, not because your spouse just can't get it, but because you're not following Jesus. 
It may be that your marriage is falling apart because both of you, yeah, Jesus is your God, but he's not your rabbi. And while you're a believer of Jesus, you're not a disciple of Jesus. Because disciples die. And problems in a marriage last because someone is not dying. The problems in your finances are not because you don't make enough money, are not because you spend too much money. It's because you're not following Jesus. Because the Bible is littered with information on how to steward finances and be successful. It's all throughout there. And Jesus teaches on money, probably uh, up there. Yeah, it's close to one of the, the most talked about topics that Jesus teaches on, is money. We, as believers, there's, there's two concerns in life. We have, we have the, the human concerns and God concerns. And this is what, what Jesus is rebuking Peter for when he's saying, stop putting your, your human concerns above God's concerns. There's only one way to do that, friends, is to die, is to deny your concerns is to crucify them to the cross. Take up the cross and follow Jesus. And I believe today that, I really believe that the majority of the issues and the things we walk through in life that keep us from not just living life, but living life abundantly, it comes down to this decision, right? What Jesus says, you'll be rewarded based on what you've done, the decisions you've made. It comes down to this decision to live, to go from living life to life abundantly. And that doesn't mean your life is perfect. It doesn't mean your life doesn't have storms. It just means in the storms you can sleep. To go from living life to life abundantly is to take a step over that fine, distinct line from being a believer to being a follower of Jesus. My invitation to you today, my invitation to, to myself is, and it's really a daily thing, which category do you fall in? Truly and honestly, wrestle with that in your heart and your mind. Am I acting like a believer where Jesus is my God, he's the Messiah, but he's not my rabbi? When you go out through your day, how many, how many times do you display selfishness? You know, when someone pulls out in front of you, right? That, that emotion, that rage that, that sets in and, and you kind of want to like have some words, you know? Human nature, that is. What would it look like to deny yourself in that moment? It's a, it's a petty little thing. It's pesky, yeah, but it's the difference between being human and being holy. It really is. And if you get really good at denying yourself alone in your car when someone pulls out in front of you, you're gonna get really good at denying yourself in your marriage, eventually. 
And I think Jesus is calling us to a, a life abundant that isn't, like, isn't just for eternity. Like the point of, of Jesus and salvation was, was not just to be saved in this life and then it, like, you know, get through it. If so, like he probably would have killed us at salvation and just brought us on to heaven, right? The perp like we're not waiting for eternity to become holy. We're not waiting for eternity to walk in life abundant that's promised for us. It's obtainable today, but only through the denial of self, taking up of cross, and, and making Jesus not just your God, but your teacher, your rabbi. How does Jesus live? How does he think? And then I'm going to be a representative of Jesus, or I'm going to represent Jesus with my life. I'm going to allow him to wear me like a glove and, and be a, I'm going to be a walking clone of Jesus Christ because I've sat at his feet, I've walked in his dust, I've denied myself, I've taken up my cross, and now I'm going to provoke the rest of the world to jealousy because I said, I stand apart, I'm uncommon, I'm different, and people are going to see something. They're not going to want to uphold the disciplines that I do, but they're going to want my results. It's like I can look at I can look, I love to, I love to ride bikes. I love to cycle. I'm, t I'm terrible at it, but I love to, to cycle. There's something therapeutic at it. And I watch guys uh, like my friend, Pastor Chuck, sitting back over here, who just, just fly on the bike for hours at just 100 miles an hour, it seems like, you know, and just all of this stamina and all this energy. And as much as I want to be that, I really don't want to enact the disciplines that it will take to get there. I don't want to go through the pain to, to throw 300 pounds, you know, over my, I don't want to wake up early to work out. I don't want to cut the sugars out of my diet. The disciplines to be healthy, it's the same way with following Jesus. There's a life that you have access to with peace and joy, but are you willing to take up the disciplines that come with following Jesus to get there? That is holy. For the one that is, that is out of shape and overweight and has really amazing athletic goals, to deny themselves to get up early, to cut out the cheeseburgers, whatever it is, to deny himself in that way, to reach the athletic goals they have in the same manner, we too deny ourselves the things that um, God, Christ has called us to deny ourselves, whether that be your, your dreams, your plans, your preferences, so on and so forth. And so... My invitation to you today, body, is to evaluate in what areas of my life have I made Jesus God, and that's amazing, and, it, and that's, that's the foundation, but what areas of my life do I need to make Jesus God and teacher? And in what areas do I need to actually deny myself, take up my cross, transition, follow him out of my human nature into a holy nature that he offers? What are those areas in my life? And I believe the Holy Spirit will reveal those things to you. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit will empower you in those things. If you could do it on your own, there would be no point for Jesus. <laughs> That's the point of Jesus. If we, could, if we could live this perfect life, we wouldn't need him. But Jesus came, did it, displayed it, and now teaches us to follow in his footsteps, denying human nature, sin nature, and entering into a holy nature. Would you stand with me all over the room? There's, there's uh, every head bowed and every eye closed. There's two people in, in the room that I just want to pray for real quick as I leave.
The first group of people are those who may be in, in this room that Jesus isn't even Lord and Savior of your life. Uh, you don't even really, I haven't accepted in faith Jesus is who he says he is. And then there's a second group of people who have. But there's a second group of people who today want to make the commitment to, hey, I, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm a believer of Jesus. Regardless of where I fall out on the plane, I want to commit to evaluating and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and speak and convict in every area of my life, in every area of my life, to transition following Jesus out of a human nature into a holy nature. And if that's you, if you fall into either of those categories, I don't need to know which category you fall into, but if that's you, either of you, I just want to pray with you, and we're going to pray together in just a moment. But would you just lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with and the other pastors in the room? Yeah. Yeah, hands all over the place. It's great. I'm, I'm included in that. Heavenly Father, we come to you today so thankful for this time that we've had and this space to, to, to talk about you and, and to digest your word. God, I ask that right now the Holy Spirit would fill every person, every believer in this room, God, with the, the supernatural grace and empowerment to follow you, truly follow you, to, to let what we believe in our head become applicable displays in our life every day. God, I ask that, that you would intensify the conviction of the Holy Spirit as we just walk through our everyday life when when there's an opportunity to function in this human nature and it's not sin, it's not wrong, we're justified in it, but it's not holy that you've called us to a higher way. God, I ask that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be intensified in every heart and every life in the room, that it would stop us in our tracks and just say, man, was that like Jesus? Would Jesus do that? Holy Spirit, I ask for your conviction. I ask for your leading and for your guiding and I ask for your supernatural empowerment to walk in the footsteps of Jesus because it's only by your grace, it's only by your gifting, it's only by your empowerment that we have any chance of following Jesus. So God, it's not in our own strength, lest we boast in ourselves, but God, it's only in the power of Jesus. God, I ask that you would come and I ask that you would do that today all over the room. We love you and we thank you. And everyone said, Amen. Well, we hope that this message has brought you hope and encouragement, and it was just what you needed for today. If you're joining us today and we can partner with you in prayer in any way, it would be our honor. Please reach out to us by visiting our website, mycitylight.org. And lastly, if the Holy Spirit has laid it on your heart to give today, you can do that by visiting mycitylight.org and go to the giving tab or text any amount to 84321.